Hello, I'm Pastor Marshall Oaks, and I'm the lead pastor at Red Hills Church in Tallahassee, Florida. And you're about to listen to a message from our Sunday morning gathering. If you enjoy what you hear, please leave us some feedback on iTunes. And if you really like what God is doing at our church, consider supporting the ministry work at redhillschurch.com give. Thanks, and now for some Bible teaching. Okay, so we're working our way through Hebrews. As I said the last couple weeks, the author of the book of Hebrews, the first nine, 10 chapters or so, is a collection of appeals to the church based off of Old Testament scripture. And so he's making arguments for the church that are completely rooted in theology in the Old Testament. And so the beauty of the book is it challenges us to grow in our understanding of the Old Testament because we have to go back and we have to study the scripture, the text, get more familiar with what's going on in the book but it also helps us draw theological understanding from that text and pull it forward so we understand the context in which we live in and we understand the story that we're a part of. We are a part of a story that's been going on for a long time. Our history, our roots, they go all the way back to this guy named Abraham being called out of darkness into light. And so the beauty of this book is it challenges us to, to, get, to, to stretch our muscles a little bit in the Old Testament, become more familiar with material that we haven't in the past. And last week in Hebrews 3 and 4, the author goes through uh, Psalm 95, and he makes an appeal based off of this concept of rest um, and obedience and disobedience and being able to enter that rest or not enter that rest. Now he continues that argument into Hebrews chapter four, that's the first half of the book, and then he pivots halfway through and introduces the next appeal to the Old Testament, which is Jesus being the great high priest, and that argument will carry on for the next few chapters. So what I wanna do before we get into Hebrews four today is I wanna revisit that argument that he made last week in Hebrews three by actually looking at Psalm 95. It's a short Psalm, it's only 11 verses, let's get to it. So if you have your Bibles, go to Psalm 95 before we get into Hebrews chapter four. So Psalm 95 says this, Um, And and in your Bible, it probably doesn't have an author associated with it, but we're gonna find out later. Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews associates this Psalm with David. So he is telling us that David wrote it. So the Psalmist, most likely David, Psalm 95 says, "'O come, let us sing to the Lord "'and let us make a joyful noise "'to the rock of our salvation. "'Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving, Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in Mirabah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness. This is a reference Exodus 17, seven, and the people of Israel complaining about food and water in the wilderness. 
Verse 9, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Okay, now why are we reading Psalm 95? because the the writer of Hebrews uses this Psalm to make an argument for the church. Psalm 95 starts off with an invitation to praise. Come, sing, make a joyful noise, thank him, he's our God. He's made the whole world, he's called us his people, we are his sheep, and then in verse seven, this invitation becomes laser focused, and it says, worship God today. And that is the word that the author of Hebrews zeroes in on to make his appeal. Today. David is writing this psalm and saying the invitation to come and worship the Lord is an invitation that is good today. Do it today. It was an invitation that was good back at Sinai when they were wandering on the wilderness. That was a today. But there was also a today when David wrote this psalm. And so the author of Hebrews is leveraging that psalm to make a point to the church, but the point he's trying to make is every generation gets a today. Not just a today in a big sense, but literally a today, like Sunday, today, is a day that you can make a choice. And the choice you get to make is you harden your heart towards the things of God, or you respond to his invitation in worship. That is an, that is an invitation that you get from the Holy Spirit every single day that's called today. The people of Israel got it. Those who, rule, who, who sat under David's rule, they got that invitation. And the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter four leverages this argument that says, look, if Israel got it today under Moses, if the people of Israel under David got it today to respond to worship, how much better is Jesus than Moses and David, and how much more on the line is your response to today than everything that was revealed to them back in their todays? Are you following? Everybody gets a today, and the today asks you to either respond to God in worship or harden your heart. But unlike back in David's day and Moses' day, you're not just harden your heart towards Moses or David or the God of Sinai, you're hardening your heart towards Jesus Christ who took on flesh and became the sacrifice for you. So here's the invitation for today at the end of three and then we get into four. The invitation for today is all of you today can either respond to the teaching of God's word, to his worship, to the atmosphere that the Holy Spirit has made possible as we gather as his faithful people. You can respond in worship and submission to the supremacy of Jesus over all things, or you can harden your heart and say, I don't know about all this. This seems kind of manipulative to me. I think I know better. I watched a video last week about this kind of stuff. I don't know about this. That's your invitation today. So with that invitation today, there comes a therefore. 
This invitation is a true thing. It happens every day that is today. You can either respond in worship or harden your heart. And then there is a therefore. If this thing is true, therefore we should do something about it. If there really is an invitation from God to every person every day to either respond to him or harden your heart, then there is something that we should do to that truth in response. If X is true, then what do we do in response? That's where we pick up Hebrews chapter four. Go over to Hebrews four and we'll start in verse four one. And it starts with that word, therefore. So we're leaving three where the declaration that there is an invitation to respond, to enter into this rest, to say today, I wanna respond to God, or today you can harden your heart. What is the response? Therefore, verse four, chapter four, verse one, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, which is today, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Now let's start with the most obvious thing here. The therefore, the response to the reality that God is inviting everyone today to enter into his rest, to trust and worship him, to stop all the striving and all the work, to just enter into rest here now as a believer, but also in eternity when you're resting after you die, to enter into this rest of heaven. This invitation is good every single day. What is our response? Your response should be, you should fear. Well, why are we afraid? Why are we in fear? Well, this word fear is used in a really unique way. It's not a paralyzing fear. It's not a, I'm frozen uh, and, and into um, uh, no activity. It's not the kind of fear where you're, you have terror in your soul about what God might do to you. It's the kind of fear that causes a skydiver to make sure that his pack is packed correctly. Because what you're playing with is fire. The reality of the invitation from the Lord is, I will wash away your sins. But if you harden your heart to that, the reality is is that you will face judgment without the blood of Christ, and you will have to suffer the consequences for the sinful choices you have made in this life. That's what's on the line here. And that's why the author is making this Um, uh, first uh, statement in verse one, that our response to this truth is that we should fear. Because when you consider what Israel's choice was, that they were given the opportunity to trust God and then enter into rest in Canaan, but they rejected and God said, I swore in my wrath, you're not gonna enter rest. What we have in Jesus is greater than what we have in Moses. And we're not just talking about entering rest into the promised land, which was Canaan. We're talking about entering into rest, which is eternity in heaven. So here's what's on the line. And this is where he says, you should fear your decision about this. Because what's on the line is not the next 30 years of your life being pleasant and at rest. What's on the line is eternal punishment or eternal rest. This decision 
about what you think about Jesus and how you respond to him has implications that will impact you, not just for your lifetime, but for eternity when your lifetime expires. And eternity is way longer than the 80 or 90 years you're gonna get on planet Earth. And so the invitation from the world is come, make the most of today, strive for wealth, Strive for satisfying your own flesh. Do whatever you want, because when you die, you can't take your toys with you, so enjoy all of it right now. And then the invitation from Christ is tell yourself, no, now, take up your cross and follow me, and you will enter into rest in eternity. Your flesh will be fully satisfied on the other side of death. This is why it's so important for us as believers to be sharp in the knowledge of the word of God. Because there are a lot of ideologies out there that have some roots that go deep into the Bible or have some adjacent perspective in faith, but they're not the teachings of Jesus. And so when you jump on YouTube and you start to inform yourself on the matters of the day, on politics or in the latest news, you're going to find people who are not believers, but the things they're talking about echo some of the value systems that come from this book. And you're going to be like, oh man, like, I like listening to this guy or I like listening to this girl because the stuff they're saying is true. But you have to understand that the way you get to that true from the world's perspective is not the same way you get to that true from the biblical perspective. Let me give you an example. If we're talking about the truth that Jesus is king, can we all agree that Jesus is king? All right? As a, a human being on planet Earth, how do you become king? You conquer another kingdom and you make yourself king. Is that how Jesus became king? He didn't pick up a sword, he rode a donkey. He didn't murder his enemies, he allowed his enemies to murder him. So we're talking about the reality that kingship is a true concept, but the Bible teaches that Jesus ascended to it in a different way than humans ascended to it. And so when I'm talking about things like, okay, well, um, um, if, I, if, I, if I want to be informed on different ideologies of this world, there are experts that you can go to uh, uh, in the world, some that just kind of designate themselves as experts on YouTube, but you can go and you can fill your mind with all of these ideologies about, you know, the conservative perspective or the liberal perspective or, or, or uh, this issue on sexuality or, or how this church views issues in sexuality. There's no shortage of how the world wants to tell you as a believer how to think about value system things that come from this Bible. But I'm telling you, just because they sound like they're talking Bible principles doesn't always mean that if you follow their teachings, you're gonna get to Jesus. You might get more morally superior, superior but you're not going to get more closer to Jesus. That's not more close to you. You're not going to get closer to Jesus. <laughs> this is a big thing in our day and age. Because we are called or expected as human beings, especially in the day we live in now, to be an expert in anything. Excuse me, to be an expert in everything. And what that requires is to start reading people and following things and listening to things. 
and become informed on information. But I'm telling you, if you don't filter that information through the word of God, you're gonna become an ideologue for some perspective on something and you're gonna drift farther away from Jesus trying to be morally superior or be right on an issue. Let me set you free from that. You don't have to be an expert on everything. You don't even have to have an opinion on everything. You can stop watching that stuff. I know why you're watching, because you're afraid that somebody comes up to you and says, what do you think about this? What do you think about the Ukraine war? Oh, well. No time in the history of the world has any human being been expected to have an opinion on every single thing that's happening in the world. We're going through the Psalms of Ascent series. This is why one of the Psalms tells us, there are some things that are too high and lofty for me, I'm not going to consider them. There's things that are outside of my realm of influence. I don't need to spend the mental energy trying to get some kind of solution or answer or perspective on that. What I need to do is pursue Jesus. I need to pursue the word of God. Let my soul be filled with this and let this be the lens that frames everything else. And so what the author of Hebrews is doing for us is he's saying, here's one way to think about something like today. There's no shortage of people out there in the world who are telling you, here's how you think about rest. Here's how you think about um, you know, self-care. Here's how you think about today. Here's how you think about your best life. And then the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, here's how the Bible wants you to think about that stuff. Here's how, the, here's how God wants you to think about rest. And he, here's how God wants you to think about the way you make decisions in your life. You following? So this is what he's doing in the first two verses. He's saying in verse two, Good news came to us just like it came to them. Now he's talking in terms of like good news, like really good news, God's gonna save you. But for us, this is even bigger stuff. There's lots of things that come our way that seem good news, that get front loaded in front of the real gospel good news, and we can't confuse the two because some of the lines blur, but we can't tell the difference. And so we end up following these good news things that are not really the good news. Are you, are you tracking with what I'm trying to say here? And so he's saying good news came to them and it also came to us. The problem is that when it came to them, they weren't really listening to it. They heard it, but they weren't listening to it. And because of that, they weren't able to enter into rest because their hearts grew hard. And he's trying to make the argument that the same issue resides for us as church people. Because you can come to church every single week and you can hear good news, but you don't actually listen to it. Because hearing and listening are different things. Listening implies obeying. And so what happens is you come here every week and we spend 40 minutes or so, 50 minutes, okay, listening to me talk about the word of God. I'm trying to proclaim. I'm trying to say, look, this is what the Bible says. You're like, okay, I hear it. It's good news. But you're not really listening. Who you're listening to is that idiot on YouTube who nobody is there. Literally no one is fact checking him. No one is listening to anything he has to say. He just has a camera and a computer and he posts whatever whatever he wants out there. And it's clips of this little stuff and he's putting it together to tell a story that he wants to tell. And you're just like, this guy knows what he's talking about. And he's got a podcast that comes out every day and you're like, man, okay, so what happens is you spend an hour a day listening to this guy disciple you into how to think 
when you're only hearing the good news on Sunday morning. This is where that's going to lead you if you don't fix some things in your life. Not entering into rest. Because you're going to hear the good news, but you're not going to listen to it. You're going to listen to something else. That's going to disciple you into a different kind of person. And you're going to stand before the Lord one day. He's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, because I never knew you. What do you mean you never knew me? I heard you every week. Yes, but when today happened, you always hardened your heart because you didn't listen and obey. Look, you get no extra credit in church for show, or in heaven for showing up and hearing the, hearing the message. You get no extra credit for having your whole podcast filled with good truth. You get no extra credit for stacking your library filled with books that you read and you hear and you hear and hear. The only transformation comes when you listen and you obey and you're transformed. And that's what the, the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us to understand. There was a generation that heard and then just here, they saw. Imagine what it was like to watch the Red Sea part and swallow your enemies. And then two days later, man, there's no food out here. I wish we went back to Egypt. I like being a slave better than I like wandering around in the desert. That seems foolish, right? But in some way, we kind of still act like that, right? Which is the reason why God is giving us the gift of today. You can do something different about that. Today, you can stop hardening your heart to the things of God. Today, you can start responding to him in worship and paying attention to the way that he does things. Now, let's get into verse three. He builds this out even more. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. This is Genesis 2. He, doesn't, he hasn't forgotten where it is. He knows exactly where it is. He's just calling attention to the fact that God spoke this and it's not just in Genesis. For somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, he says, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in the passage, he says, they shall not enter into my rest. So what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's trying to tie our theology together to help us understand this concept of rest. That when God, when, when we're told that on the seventh day he entered into rest, that rest is a theological category that is the same rest that Israel was told they can't enter into. You follow me? Rest is not a nap. Rest is a theological category that God is inviting you into if you respond to him today. And there are some, there are some initial consequences to that. Just like for Israel, it would have been entering into the land of Canaan. That would have been a physical manifestation of the rest, but just kind of a shadow of the real rest of entering into God and ceasing from striving. That rest is a theological category that was true for Israel, and it's now true for us. We are invited into this rest. When you come to Jesus and say, I trust you, there is a rest that comes to your soul. I can't explain it, you just have to experience it. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? When you come to him and you finally say, all right, I trust you. There's a, that happens. Your problems don't go away. Your body continues to shut down. You still have issues. 
But there is a releasing from the striving. There is a rest that comes initially from trusting in him and responding in the today to worship him that then carries over into the eternal reality. It's just a foreshadow of what's coming. So what the author is saying is that this category of rest is a theological category that we should get in our heads as an invitation that has now consequences and eternal consequences, specifically eternal consequences. And so what we're looking at is when Israel was invited to enter into Canaan, they were invited to enter into, the, into Canaan in rest, but it, it was Canaan, but it, but it was so much more than that. So when God said to them, I swear you're not going to enter into my rest. He is saying you're not going to enter into Canaan, but he's also saying so much more. He's saying now you have forfeited entering into my rest that I started back on the seventh day. So what the author of Hebrews is saying is that the Old Testament is preaching that when God stopped working and entered into rest, he never left that state of rest. He's been at rest since the seventh day. Now, it doesn't mean that he isn't currently working today. It means he stopped creating. He looked back at what he did and he said, this is good. And he rested. And that rest wasn't just a day. It was a period of time that extended. And from that moment forward up until today, Anybody who wants to respond to God in worship is invited to enter into that rest. You will taste of what it feels like the moment you get saved, but you will enter into that rest in eternity after you die. And this is the reason why this is such a big deal for us. Because when you look at this parable, what he's saying essentially is that if you don't trust and believe in him, you won't just enter into rest, you will forfeit your eternal posture. Yes, there is an end to striving, to the anxiety, to the brokenness right here and now, just like there was an end to the wandering in the wilderness when they entered into Cana for Israel. But for us today, when you enter into that rest, there is a cease from striving now, but you're also going to enter into the fullness of that when you die, if you believe. Our fancy way today of talking about this is like, where are you going to go when you die? You're going to go to heaven? Or are you going to go to hell? Well, that's a shorthand and frankly, kind of a cheap way of representing this biblical concept. When you finally die, are you going to enter into rest or are you going to enter into eternal judgment and punishment? Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. I want you to think in your mind all of the struggles you've had in your life. I want you to think about all the struggles you've had right now. All the things that have been spoken against you, all the struggles you've had in your marriage, with your kids, all the struggles you're emotionally taking on from your kids because they're not making good choices or they made better choices than you and now you're trying to live vicariously. All of that, let's just throw it all in. 
Come on, throw it all in. All the addiction you've ever had, all the impure thoughts you've ever had, all the, the time you spent on the internet looking at things you don't need to. And I'm not just talking about pornography. I'm talking about nonsense, just waste of time stuff, just doom scrolling. Throw it all in there. What else? Let's put it all in there. All of the striving, every time you spent a week in the hospital because you ran too hard and you rolled an ankle and you, your body's breaking down. Every time you woke up after a good night's sleep and you threw your back out just because you were sleeping. Anybody? Anybody? Just me? Throw it. Remember the days when you were young and you could, just, you could just look at a book and just read it and you didn't have to put glasses on and you could see, you could see across the room and rather it's just like, I, I see someone, it, it looks like trees maybe, maybe it's people. I'm talking about everything, hair falling out. You get an age where you literally can't even walk yourself places. People have to pick you up and walk. All of that. Think about all of that stress. All of the striving in life. Are you really telling me that you would forfeit rest at the end of that just because you don't like the way Jesus does things? This is the heart of the Hebrews argument. Yes, he's demanding things of you. But the things he's demanding of you are the best things for you. They're not how you would define best, but they are the best things for you. Look, I know you think you want that thing, but that thing's only going to bring you pain. He sees it. You don't trust him, not yourself. I promise you're going to be better off. There will be a sense of rest right now that you will, even, you will enjoy even more when you enter that rest in eternity. And so he's contrasting this idea that when God enter into rest, he's inviting anybody into it, but there are some that he swore you will not enter into my rest. Who are those? Because we need to be afraid not to be those. Those are the people who chose to harden their hearts when today happened, and they said, nah, I don't want any part of that. This is the reason why the author is writing this letter, and this is the reason why I'm preaching this today because of what's on the line. This isn't just about, man, just, just like pray a prayer and like accept Jesus in your heart and then you're good. No, this is eternal consequences stuff. What Jesus is offering to you is coming to a point in your life after you die that you don't have to worry about where you're headed and that your next body will be far greater than this one. And that you're gonna enter into a season of rest and you're gonna hear the Father tell you, well done my good and faithful servant, enter into rest. Go to verse six. Another therefore, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he points a certain day today, Saying, th saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore... Another therefore, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. 
For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So the author makes one final plea from Psalm 95, and then he's gonna move on in verse 14. And the plea that he makes is reinforcing the same argument that we've been making for the last chapters three and chapters four. But he's making this argument so that everyone understands really what's on the table here. And here's how the argument goes. We know that Israel under Moses never entered into rest in Canaan. God swore, you're not gonna enter into my rest. But under Joshua, the people of Israel did enter into Canaan. They enter into some sense of rest, but that sense of rest is, is not the eternal rest that God is talking about because sometime later in the timeline, a guy named David wrote a psalm that invited Israel to enter into God's rest today. So even though Joshua, so you got Moses and Israel, they didn't enter rest, but then later Joshua enters into rest in Canaan. But then you have David much later after Joshua saying, hey, come on guys, today, still today, enter into rest. The argument is that if Joshua had entered into rest, then David would not be pleading with the people today to enter into rest, which is Hebrews' argument. If David had invited the people into rest and they finally came into rest, then I would not today be pleading with you to enter into rest. You see what I'm saying? So he's saying that how we are supposed to think about rest is not just the temporal, momentary, location-based sense of rest, which is how most Christians operate. You've heard of the prosperity gospel? This idea that the invitation for us is to come to Jesus and he's just, he's just like, he's a Hogwarts wizard and everything gets better. He just waves a magic wand and all of your problems go away. If you just give a little more, he'll give you a little more. You suffering? It's because you're not giving enough. This works-based relationship. You want to enter into rest? Work at it. Come on, keep working at it. The writer of Hebrews is trying to squash all of that by making this simple argument. If the rest was only a temporary location-based rest, like Moses entering into Canaan, or Joshua entering into Canaan, or David inviting Israel to enter into rest when they actually had Jerusalem, then the writer of Hebrews would not have all of these moments in Old Testament scripture inviting the people into rest. Rest is not something primarily that happens right here and right now in your life. Rest is the theological category for what happens after you die if you believe. There are certainly implications and way that it's demonstrated here and now, but you don't get to inherit the full wonder and beauty of rest in your physical body now. You have to pass over into death. You've got to die to inherit what's really coming your way. And this is why he told us two chapters ago that Jesus set us free from the fear of death. 
because now death is not a thing that you have to do. Death is a thing that you get to do. It's the moment you inherit this rest. You finally, (sighs) it encourages us to think about death a little bit differently, doesn't it? It sets you free from some things, doesn't it? Now, this doesn't negate the pain that your loved ones who are suffering through your loss go through right now, but if they frame their mind with the understanding of today and rest, they're not saying goodbye to you. They'll just say, I'll see you later. It's only going to be a few more years and I'm going to be with you. And then we're going to be together forever and the joy will never end because we'll always be together. And we'll be together without that attitude you keep throwing my way that I haven't lived up to whatever expectation you do. All of that, all of that stuff's going to be gone. It's just going to be good rest. So he makes this argument. And the argument for us today means that if every generation entered into rest, then the rest invitation stands for us to today. But we have to understand that the rest is the eternal state after you die. We know that because of verse 10. It says, forever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works. Who enters God's rest and rests from their works? People who die. When you die, if you have believed on Jesus Christ, people who are dead are resting right now. They're not working. They're not striving. They're not in anxiety. They're resting. So the invitation in verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that same rest so that nobody's gonna fall through disobedience. Now, some argue that verse 10 is speaking of Paul's rest from works righteousness. So when you read 10, you say, so whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works. Meaning, anybody that has trusted Jesus for their salvation no longer has to strive to work at their salvation. He's done it all, and when you come to him, you rest. You rest from your works. That is a Pauline argument that is present throughout the New Testament. It is true, but it is not the argument that the writer of Hebrews is making right now. If it is the argument that he's making, he has completely erased everything he said before and everything he's about to say afterwards. What we're talking about here is eternal rest where you are after you die. And he's encouraging believers, do not give up your faith now because if you do, you will forfeit your rest in eternity. He's not saying if you give up now, you'll forfeit your your striving from works righteousness right now. He's saying you will forfeit your inheritance in heaven. You won't get Jesus. You won't spend eternity with him. And so the argument is true. When you come to Jesus, you cease striving and working for your salvation. Everything he's ever done has already been accomplished. It's just not the argument that Hebrews is writing right here. And it's important for us to make that clear because what's happening right now is that the author is driving home this reinforced value that what's in view for the believer is eternity. Why are you making the decisions you're making today? Because when you're making those decisions, eternity is in view. Think about this. When that temptation comes your way to do that thing that you know he has told you not to do, you can either A, make the decision based off of 
temporary circumstances. Well, this is gonna forfeit my rest now, it's gonna cause me anxiety, uh, whatever. Or you can think on an eternal scale and say, if I keep making these kind of decisions, it argues against the faith that I say I believe and I might not even be a believer, which means I might not inherit eternal rest. Because you cannot say, Jesus, I, I, I pledge my allegiance to you, I follow you, I put my faith in you, and continue to live the way you have been living. If you are, you're lying to yourself. If he really has the power to change you, then you will be changed. Now there's an obedience that is required on your part. I'm not negating that. But I'm saying that when he says you are a new creature, you are a new creature. And those old desires fade into the past. Unless you keep feeding those desires, which proves that you haven't really trusted him. And this is the scary thing that Hebrews is getting us to consider. He's saying that churches can be filled with people who hear, who are convinced that they are putting their faith in Jesus, but they're not putting their faith in Jesus because all they're doing is feeding their flesh. And that should be a scary thought that you spend your entire life never really submitting to the lordship of Jesus. You only did it because your wife wanted you to go to church. Or you wanted your kids to think highly of you. There are a laundry list of reasons why people go and do and hear, but there's only one reason why we truly listen and obey. It's because Jesus is superior to you. His way of thinking, his way of doing is better than your way of thinking and your way of doing. So, in 12 and 13, he reminds us, with eternity in view, you need to understand that you can't hide from God. Today, you have to make a decision. And the decision you have to make Know that you may be hiding things from your wife and your kids and your parents and your boss, but you're not hiding anything from God. And what you really choose to decide about either worshiping or hardening your heart today, he knows what your real decision is. You can fake it and hide it in front of so many people, but there's one thing you can't fake it in front of, and that is the word of God, that is him. You can't fake him. And so that's why all of this is lumped into Hebrews 4, because the author is like a pastor pleading with us to consider what we're doing with our lives. Because if you spend your whole life doing the things on the outside that look Christian with no real transformation on the inside, it doesn't matter what you did with your life, if you didn't believe Jesus and follow him as supreme king, you will forfeit eternal rest and you will spend an all of the rest of eternity in punishment and judgment in hell. Hell is a real place. The lake of fire is a real place. People who say, I'm hardening my heart, I don't want any part of what Jesus is saying, are headed that way on a freight train. And those who have said, I don't wanna go there, I want to accept what you have done on my behalf, their inheritance is eternal rest. Now, 
The plead today is please, 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 please make the most of today. This is what's on the line. Make the most of today because you might not get tomorrow. Now, he pivots at the very end of this chapter. Now that was a good stopping point, but I wanna do a little transition leading into next week. In 14, 15, and 16, he introduces a new concept that is going to be the new Old Testament appeal for the next couple chapters. And I just wanna briefly introduce it because it leaves us in such a really, really good place. If I were to stop right now, you'd be like, oh, what a sermon, right? I hope I'm heading in the right place. Oh, geez. It, it paints Christ as this, as this king who's like, look, love me, but I'm going to slap you if you... So at the very end of that appeal, take your salvation seriously because eternal rest is on the line. Hebrews leans in. He goes, but let me tell you about the kind of guy you're serving. So I, I want to read this. This is what we're going to end on. Verses 14 through 16. It says, since then... Now, in, in Greek, that's the word therefore. The English translators just use a different phrase so that it's not therefore 49 different times. So but it's the same Greek word, therefore. Since then, so all that stuff we came before about rest and eternal rest and your salvation being on the line, therefore, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, so let us hold fast our confession. For guys, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. This is why I wanted to read this. Because the focus of today, at the beginning of the, ch of the chapter, was all about taking seriously your salvation and what's on the line if you don't. But then he ends it with an invitation. Remember I told you, every generation has their today. Today you have a today. And what are you supposed to do with that today? You're supposed to either respond in worship to God or harden your heart. But who are we responding to? We're responding to Jesus. And what is Jesus like? Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is tender. Jesus is saying, I know what's going through your head right now. You're sitting there going, God, everything you're saying, this isn't easy. And Jesus is looking at you going, I know. I've been there. You're like, oh, I'm going to have to make some different choices in life, and, and I'm going to have to follow your will and not my own. And Jesus is going, I know. I've been there. I know how hard this looks, but I'm telling you, I can sympathize. I've been tempted in every way you have. I just didn't give in to sin, so trust me. This is how this chapter ends. The great appeal to take your salvation seriously because of what's on the line and the invitation to run to the guy who has all the compassion and all the tenderness in the world to look you in the eye and say, I want the best for you. Come to me and let's talk. So here's the invitation for us today. To seriously consider what's on the line and to start letting those things bubble to the surface. Oh, I gotta deal with that. 
I gotta deal with that. I have to stop looking at that. I have to stop thinking about that. I'm gonna have to have some conversations with these people. All of that, that seems really difficult. Jesus is standing there saying, yeah, I know, I, I know. I sympathize, I've been there. I know, I know what it's like to have tough conversations with people. Here's what I want you to do. Come to me and talk to me about it first. This is the beauty of the chapter. You've got all this reality, all of this weight. You've got to consider these things. Therefore, what do you do with it? You run to the guy who understands. You run to Jesus with his open arms and you say, Jesus, I got a mess on my hands. And here's what these three, or these three verses are telling you. You don't have to be formal about your prayers. This is license to get messy with your prayers. Look, here's the reality. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's dividing all kinds of things, which means he already knows what you're going through. He already sympathizes and he, he understands. So when you come to him and you say, I don't like you very much. He's gonna say, I understand. When you come and say, why didn't you let me have that thing that I wanted? He's gonna say, come over here and let me show you the thing that I've got for you that's even better than that. When you come to him and say, this person has been driving me nuts. He's gonna say, yeah, I know what it's like to have people drive you nuts. I washed the feet of a guy who sold me out and killed me. I, I get it. He's not inviting you to come with some formal written out, oh Lord, thou God, here are thine things that need thine attention. No, come to him, the great compassionate God. Come to him with awe and reverence and respect, but he is the guy who took on human flesh and suffered a death worse than anything you could possibly imagine. Come to him and express to him in your own words, God, I need your help, and I don't know what else to say. I just need your help. I just need your help. I'm broken, I feel empty. I need your help. Sometimes that's all that is needed. But here's the last thing I wanna leave you with. Don't only talk, practice listening. If all you do in your prayer closet is talk, it's not prayer. You have to practice listening. So here's what we have to consider. Our eternity and entering into eternal rest and whether our true belief in God is real and manifests in transformation now in arrest and eternity in arrest and the guy we can run to to talk to about that who's got his arms open and says, I understand. Come here, come here. Some of you guys just like, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about a guy hugging me, telling me it's gonna be all right. Oh, well then you're probably, that's exactly what you need. Because you probably didn't get enough of that as a young man growing up. Probably didn't have your dad tell you he loves you and hugs you. But dads, real dads do that. And if you're a dad in here and you're like, I can't remember the last time I told my kids that I love them. That's a problem, fix it today. This is a beautiful invitation. 
Consider the weight of what we're being asked to consider and then run to him to consider it. And not the God who's sitting up there like a Zeus throwing fiery darts. I can't believe, I swear you're never gonna enter and rest. No, the guy who says, I want you to enter and rest and I did all the work on your behalf. Come to me and rest. Church, today is the day that you run to Jesus and nothing else. Let's pray. Hello again, it's Pastor Marshall, and I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message. If you want to hear other messages or maybe find out more about our church, you can visit redhillschurch.com. From there, you'll find links to our social media pages, message archive, and ways you can support the ministry work. Thanks again for spending time with us, and God bless.